Welcome to Lost in Translations, I'm your host Michael and today I am joined once again by my wife Mary and we are talking about Sphinx by Anne Greta and this is translated by Emma Ramadam. This book comes to us from Deep Vellum. Welcome back to Lost in Translations. I'm here again with my wife, Mary. Hello. Hello. Today we're talking about Sphinx by Angareta, and that's translated by Emma Ramadan. This is from Deep Vellum. Deep Vellum Publishing. Yes, and this is a very interesting piece of experimental fiction. I don't know why I paused so long there. <laughs> You're probably thinking of the next word. <laughs> uh, wasn't sure if I should use the word fiction or literature. Why did you choose fiction? I don't know. <laughs> I think this counts as literature. Yeah, well, yes. I, mean, I don't know how, what counts as literature, but I feel like this would count. Yeah. It does say a landmark literary event. It does say that. It's like nominated for Pen Translation Prize and Best Translated Book Award. I'm surprised it didn't win because it's pretty impressive. Do you know what did win? I do not. The the Pen Translation Award normally gives awards to a few, I think, every couple of months. Mm. It's almost seasonal, but it is a UK prize to recognise the best translations. Yeah. I'm not sure how it's judged. Though. Okay. It's more about, hey, these we think these translations are great, so check them out. Mm. And it's also the first novel by a female member of the Olipo into English. Yes. What is the Olipo? Um, it's a um, society. A society. <laughs> of authors? Is society not the right word? I yeah, I think open. a society might be the right word. It's a French-speaking group that like to put constraints on their writing techniques, so... It's a collection of writers and mathematicians. I don't know how you put constraints on math. I think the constraints are maths. Oh, math-related constraints. Yes. Yeah, because it says that like one of one of them is based on a formula that is like the knight in chess. Okay. I don't know how that works, but <laughs> apparently that is one of the tools they use. Yeah, but some notable Aleppo members include George Preck who wrote a novel without using the letter E, mm. and Italo Covino, who's an Italian author who does a lot of experimental writing as well. And then Olipo means it's a like an an um, an abbreviation of a term that means in English it means workshop for potential literature. Yeah, and I can't not- say the French bit. No, I'm not even going to attempt to because I'm very bad at pronunciations in English. I'm bad at it in French. Yeah. Well, I would be bad at it in French too, Mm. I'm assuming. Now, in the introduction for this book by Daniel Levin Becker, who is also in the Olympian group, um, he said that when reading a book, it's best to not know the constraint and then try to solve the problem. Like, try to work out what it is. Yes. And see how far into the book you can get until you work it out. 
I don't think we could talk about this book without mentioning that. No, I'm that. just saying yeah. that if anybody does want to do that, they should stop listening. Yes. And come back after they've read it. Yeah. yeah, so to talk about this book, I think we would have to put some spoilers in, spoilers about the style and what she was trying to do, and probably spoilers about the book. I don't think we should give too many spoilers. No, no, but there is one spoiler, I think. I don't want to give it away. All right. I feel like we can talk about it without talking okay, about Okay, we'll it. see how it go, and we will, might give a warning if we you, need to go down that. You just want to give the spoiler because you missed it, and yeah. now you just want to tell people so they don't miss it? No, I don't think so. I just think it's an interesting aspect of the book to talk about. Yeah. And, yeah, I did miss it. Uh, somehow skipped over a word, and <laughs> that was embarrassing. Yes. But I'll admit something to you. Oh, you're going to admit it to the entire internet? Yeah. Okay. That I missed the bit where they had sex. Okay. <laughs> and then, I like, when you said, oh, they've just had sex, and I was like, I don't remember that bit. But I didn't admit it at the time. I was like, I- yes, of course, I remember that bit. I feel like that's probably one of the main points that you would remember in a story. I feel like what you missed is a bigger point. Yes. Yes. So the, We all miss things in yes. reading, as it seems, and hmm. we shouldn't be embarrassed by it, even okay. though I'm pretty embarrassed by what I missed. Yes, I'm embarrassed for you. So we should talk about what the, the yes. limitation was that she created. Yes. Which is that she doesn't mention the gender of the lead couple. Yeah, so the narrator and the love interest are genderless. Yes. Which is pretty impressive because in French that would be very difficult. Yes, I don't know much about French language, but I feel like it appears to be gendered. It is. It's like everything seems to have a gender, so the way you... I'm not very good at French. I've been trying to learn it on Duolingo, but... Mm. I'm not doing very well, but it feels like there are some words there that you have to probably avoid just to avoid giving away the gender. Mm. So if someone's walking down the street, the way you say you went for a walk or something like that, I don't know if that's a real example, but no, just... It's, it's, yeah. There's a bit in the translator's note at the end of the book, which I think is interesting, so I'm going to read it. Okay. So it's like in Anne Greta's original French text... The narrator of Sphinx walks, overtakes, passes, is dragged along, is led places, follows, hurries, rushes, reaches, sets foot, wanders, descends, ascends, climbs, strolls, promenades, returns, roams, roves, visits, meets people, joins people, travels, traverses, crosses, takes paths, gets lost, gets diverted, trundles along, flies away. Never does the narrator simply go anywhere. And because and that's because of the to say to went somewhere they would have to say something that would give away the gender. I can't yeah. read the French word. So yeah. Um, so a lot of, you know, that really descriptive language in the in the story, I think, comes to, to be because she's created that restriction. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that they put these weird restrictions on their writing just to see what they can do and see what they can come up with. Mm. And I think it... Seems unnecessary to us, but the end result speaks for itself. It's very elegant and very well. It's such a pleasure to read. Yeah, it was amazing. There's something about the writing I really love. It's almost minimalist, but yet it's descriptive. Yes, 
I thought it was like magical. Magical, eh? Yeah. Like, yeah, it was just an experience. Yeah, I love books it. where the writing really is one of the key factors to reading it. Mm. And it's a, it's a simple story. Yeah, it is a basic love story kind yeah. of. And it's like broken up into sections. So you've got like, you know, when the, the narrator is pursuing their love interest. Yeah. And then when they're in the relationship and then after the relationship yeah. ends. Yeah. And, yeah, and trying to piece back their life. Mm. But I think the way that it's written, it kind of challenges our perception of gender. Yes. Because there's a lot of things that go, oh, this person sounds like they're a man. Yes. Because he's so douchey and so yeah. annoying in his pursuits. Yes. Or this person's studying theology, so I wonder if it's a man because mm. it's a Jesuit school. Yeah. And because the the story was originally published in French in 1986, um, so it must be set in the 80s or earlier. Yeah, I would assume so. Yeah, but I feel like it's still, it's like timeless. Yeah. Relationship drama is relationship drama. Yeah, pretty much. And, but so sometimes I'll be like, oh, you know, this is, you know, 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's probably slight differences that perhaps there would be less women studying theology at a Jesuit college. Yeah, that's probably true. But that doesn't mean there weren't any. No, no, exactly right. Yeah. And, yeah, there was definitely but, moments. Yeah. Like, I keep referring to the narrator as male. Because he was so annoying. Well, yeah, sometimes. And then there was that one incident near the beginning when that person ends up in a situation which is ridiculous. It's like... What woman would allow this to happen? <laughs> yeah, well, like, that's true. I thought it, the narrator was a male too because he kept push he because <laughs> they kept pushing and pushing and pushing, not mm. taking no for an answer. Mm. And based on that, I assumed it was a man. Yeah. And then with the love interest, I flicked in between. Yeah. Well, the love interest was a dancer. Yes. So. My natural thought was, oh, woman, because yeah. it was like a cabaret type yeah. burlesque. Yeah. I assumed it was burlesque dancing. I, could I don't be know wrong. if it specifies. It doesn't, but it felt very Milan Rouge. Yeah, Milan Rouge. Um, hey, it's French. Yeah, it is French. <laughs> yeah, so my natural assumption was it was a female. Yeah, I tried to challenge myself whenever I was like, oh, yeah. A, this is a dancer, so obviously it's female. And I'm yeah. like, no, there are male dancers in the world. Exactly. And I found it easier for that character. But when I tried yeah. to challenge myself with the narrator to be like, oh, this is, you know, a woman could do that. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, that's it. I think that And was... I couldn't, I found it really difficult yeah. to acknowledge that maybe that could be a woman. I think the whole point was to try and challenge the gender mm. Stereotypes of what we perceive as the pursuer in a relationship and mm. the different reactions and the aftermath of a relationship and not having a gender, I think, really kind of enhanced it because I was always trying to think, should I be putting a label on this or mm. should I just go where the story takes me yeah. and not try and gender them? Yeah. And also, then they could be non-binary or trans. That's true. They could. And so, like, even now we're, like, having a conversation, are they male or female? And they might not be either. Yeah, or that's true. they could be both. Yeah, well, we could call this a non-binary love story. Yeah. And it is. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, we don't know. It could be whatever you want. We don't know. They, they're not defining their gender in the yes. book, so we shouldn't define it. Do you think if you didn't know that they don't mention the gender of the lovers, if you would have picked up on it? Or you just would have fallen into a. I, place? I think I would have thought the narrator was male and the dancer was female. Yeah. I don't know if I would have read deep enough into it to pick up on it. Yeah. So or I if th- I did, it would have been at least halfway through the book. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I would have picked up on it. And it probably, I think it would have been interesting to have read it without knowing, except I don't think I would have read it without knowing. Like, Yeah, I, I think the, the, the reason we bought the book was because of this. That we bought the book. I bought, bought this book. You bought the book. Okay, we, we are a we, we're married. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but I gave you this book for your birthday. Yes. But then read it before you. Well, yeah. And then forced my way onto your podcast to talk about it. I don't think that's a problem. No. But I was like, hurry up and read this book because we need to talk about it on the podcast. Yeah, and I think we've talked about it plenty before recording this and maybe yes. we should have recorded all those conversations. Yes, well, I've been Because I think saying, we've had lots of interesting conversations. I've been saying for months we need to record this and you keep putting it off. I don't know if it's been months. It was October. You read it in October. Yeah. I don't know if I read it in October. When did you read it? I think I read it just before recording... The November podcast. Yeah, so that's November. Yeah. And now it's January. <laughs> it's been a busy couple of months of not working. Mm. <laughs> okay, so about halfway through the book, the relationship ends. Mm. And then we get this really angsty um, section where he, he they. where they uh, try to recover from the heartbreak. Mm. You called that your favourite section, but I don't think that was your favourite. I think that was probably my favourite section. It was so full of angst and so emotional. Yeah. But then they decided to put themselves together, and I think that part of the book was your favourite. Was it? Yes. Okay. They go to America. Yeah, I like that bit. Okay. I'm trying to discuss (laughs) it without spoiling what's really happening. The love interest's mother is dying. Yes. And the narrator goes, decides to fly over to yeah, help to her. Help out. Yeah. 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 And I, I found that quite cathartic. Well, it was nice to see them say, look, I'm going to put someone else's needs over mm. my own. And I think that was the first time they actually did that. Yeah. Because <laughs> in the relationship, it never felt like they were putting their needs above. I don't think either of them were. Yeah. Like, it wasn't a good relationship. No, no. It was very hot and heavy. Yeah. And then. Even though there was a lot of, no, no, we're not going to get into this relationship yes. until it happened. Yeah. I quite liked that because the narrator is like, I want to be in this relationship. And then the love interest is like, oh, I don't think that's a good idea. And like, try to put it off. Yeah. Like, I feel like there was, like, lots of... Like, tension. Yeah, lots of sexual tension where, you know, they've acknowledged there's an attraction between them. Yeah. And then, but, you know, one is like, this isn't a good idea. But, you know, they do. Yeah, but in reality, you would hate that. If it was me. Well, if anyone was pursuing someone with that much pressure, wouldn't you hate that? I don't think you would like anyone being that desperately... Pursuing someone that keeps saying no. I mean, it's not ideal. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not right at all. Hmm. Yeah. You can't say in reality you would be, find that acceptable. Well, 
um, people are complex. True. And maybe, like, <laughs> I don't know, there's something about somebody wanting you so much they don't give up until it gets creepy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure it was pretty creepy. How many times do they have to say no before but, they decide yeah. uh, maybe I should stop pressuring someone into yeah. sex? Yeah. But were they pressuring him into sex or pressuring them into a relationship? Because I don't think the love interest wanted to be in a relationship. No. And they were unfaithful. Yeah. And that was like the the narrator is just so desperate to be with this person that they overlook it. Yeah. I, th- I thought it was a very lustful mm. relationship. I thought it was definitely about the sex. I feel... You missed the sex, so for you I it wasn't the about the sex. first lot of sex. But you know, like, some people are in relationships, like, they've built someone up in their imagination, but the reality isn't as good. Yeah. But because you've built it up in your imagination, you decide you're just going to stick at it? Yeah. Because it's what you think you've been working towards? And it was had that vibe, like... I'm just going to stay in this relationship because I said that's what I wanted, even though this is not a good relationship. Yeah, that's true. I'm just going to keep trying. I'm going to make it work just to say I'm in the relationship with this person. And then they did have like, like a lot of their friends were like, no, you shouldn't be in this relationship. Yeah. And that, and then they hopped in the relationship anyway. There is one thing we didn't mention. What's that? It was, was it an interracial relationship? We don't know the race of the narrator. No, I assume they were white. I assume they were extremely white. white. <laughs> it's, it's a very white man vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would have been a big deal in the 80s. Mm. It's probably still a big deal now. In some places. But I think there was that one person, I think it mm. was a mobster, yeah. that said, look, if you're interested, yeah. Don't let anyone else tell you mm. otherwise. Yeah. If this is who you're in love with, then that's who you're in love with. Mm. Don't let society yeah. tell you you shouldn't be. Yeah. And the love interest is also American. Yes. Yeah. So there's like also probably some sort of language barrier. Well, yeah, probably a language barrier. Um, I mean, some Americans can speak French. Well, true. I mean, it wouldn't be their first language, I don't think. No. Mm. It's it's just a great book. It is. Uh, do you have recommendations based on this? No. I'm really interested in Emma Ramadam as a translator. Mm. Like she owns a bookshop that sells a lot of translations in Rhode Island with her husband. It's yes. called Refra. Mm. It's a bookshop and bar, and a lot of her books that she writes seem very experimental. Well, a lot of the books she translated, sorry, not rights. Mm. Uh, she has one called Revenge of a Translator, which sounds amazing. She did another book by this author called Not One Day. Yes. that's I want to read that one. Yeah. It's about all the women that she's lusted after. Yeah. It's a book not about all of them, but one a month. One a month. So that's yeah. 30-ish? 30 women, yep. Yep. Uh, she also ha- has done Pretty Things by, I don't know. Pretty Things by Virginie Despentes. I don't know how that's pronounced, but this is a very interesting author. She used to be a reviewer of porn. <laughs> I didn't know there was reviewers of porn. <laughs> Back in the days, I think they were also a music critic. Yeah. Uh, she has written a lot of very transgressive French novels and 
currently she's probably best known for her Vernon Subutex series. Oh, yes. Uh, which is about the Paris underground punk scene. So it looks like she picked some very interesting and unique types of books to translate. Mm. I kind of like that. I think you're going to get experimental. You're going to get pulpy type stories. Mm. And I think it's like when you find a translator that you like, they normally go for translating stories and books that they're interested in, and it kind of helps bring those type of books into the market. Yeah. So with Emma Ramadan, she's bringing kind of the more obscure French novel written by women into the market, which is awesome. Mm. I'm pretty excited to read more from this translator. Me too. Like, well, after reading this, you I, was, to read. I was, like, really impressed. Yeah. Because I feel like it's probably not... Easy. Oh, it would to be keep, very hard. Yeah, to keep to, the restriction. Yeah, in there. Yeah, at the same time. It's interesting that translators try and keep similar restrictions, like with George's Preck, his book Avoid, which is a book without an E. Translators avoided using the E for translating the English book. He's got like four E's in his name. Yeah, but that's the only time an E is mentioned. Okay. The rest of the book. The actual story yeah. is avoiding an E. I think mm. that'll be a really impressive yeah. type of book to read. I'd be interested to check that one out. Mm. And you mentioned the other day that when they translated it, oh, it was on the podcast. Yes. When they translated it into Spanish, they use an A. Yeah, they avoided the A instead because they couldn't avoid an E. Mm. And yeah, different languages, I think they took similar things. In Russian version, they didn't use the O. Mm. Yeah, Spanish didn't contain the letter A, and then Japanese version didn't use the symbol that I think is I. Okay, interesting. So it's interesting when translators kind of put the same restrictions on mm. themselves. Yeah. Because I guess that would be the appeal of reading a book like that. Yeah. Because, um, like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, don't, I haven't read that story, so... I feel like part of the attraction is the restriction to see how it works out. Yeah, well, I think they'd like to challenge themselves and see where it goes. Mm. Like, if you confine to a certain rule in writing, Mm. you probably, you'd have to work a lot harder to kind of get where you want to go. Mm. And there's a lot of different other types of Olympian to restrict them. Yes. I know they like to do... N plus seven type yeah. writing. Mm-hmm. Do you have examples of that? Yes. I, I found a website that has examples. Of, I mean, it's like a – it's limited because they their dictionary is smaller than a real dictionary. Yeah. So if you're doing it for real, you would probably look it up. But N plus seven is when all the nouns in the story get changed for a noun seven words up in the dictionary. So um, on this website, they got a whole heap of different examples, like Bible quotes and Shakespeare oh, yeah. plays. But I was just going to read a bit from the roast chicken and sage onion stuffing and gooseberry sauce recipe. Yes. Okay. So um, it becomes rock childhood and salam and opera stuffing and gossip saver. So it's like, for the childhood and stuffing, preheat the overdraft to 180 degrees. Cook the operas in a panda of boiling waterproof for four misapprehensions. Then add the salam leaves, 
and continue to bolt for a further misapprehension. Drain well and place into the box room of a footfall prodigy. Add the breakfasts, buttonholes, egomaniac zebra, nutmeg, salvo, and freshly groused black percolate. Blend until the mobility is just combined and resembles large breakfasts. Do not blend to a pasture. Stuff the childhoods with equal quarter decks of the stuffing mobility. Rub the extravaganza buttonhole over the outside of the childhood, then season to tax with salvo and freshly grass black percolate. Place the childhood in a rocker tinkle, breeder sidesteps up, and add just enough waterproof to cover the boulevard of rocker tinkle. Cover the rocker tinkle with ambassador. Cook the childhoods in the overdraft for one and a half to two housefathers. Cook the childhoods for one housefather per kilogram, allowing the welfare of the stuffing to falling in as well. Remove the following 20 misapprehensions before the enema of the cooperation timpanist and strain off the jungles. I That's do it. appreciate a good egomaniac zebra. Yeah. <laughs> so I would be very interested to see a whole story that uses that technique because it would sound, it would be surreal. Yeah. Well, I guess that's true. One of the weirdest examples of Olympian writing I've seen here is called Singular Pleasures by Matthew, Henry Matthews, which describes 61 different scenes and told in different styles, generally poetic, in which 61 different people of all different ages, nationalities, and walks of life masturbate. Oh. That's a lot of thinking about masturbation. It is. I guess it's literary masturbation writing that. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. There's, yeah, the, the Olympians were weird. Have you ever read any other Olympian writing? I have read Tello Covino. Oh, yes. He wrote the book, If on a Winter's Night a Traveller. Oh, okay. And what was the restriction? I don't know if it was an Olympian novel with a... Based on the restrictions, I think it was very meta. It was a novel inside a novel inside a novel kind of thing. Mm. Uh, postmodern, I think, is the narrative style. Okay. But I think if you put the title of every chapter mm. together, I, I believe it makes up a story oh. or a sentence. Interesting. There, were, I read that there was some debate about whether Sphinx should be counted as a Whippian novel because it was published in 1986. And but Anne Goretta wasn't admitted to the Olympian group until 2000, so she actually wrote it before she became an Olympian. I don't know if you have to be in the group to I feel write like, experimental literature. No, you don't have to be, but I think the Olympians <laughs> I think, think you have to be yeah. an Olympian to count as an Olympian author. I think if you're writing that kind of, if you're putting that kind of restrictions on yourself, then yes. That's probably why she was admitted into the group. Yes. So counting it as an Olympian novel yes. is because she wrote a book that got her admitted into the group. If I write a book with a restriction on it, will they let me in? Are you French? No. <laughs> I do not know. Do they only let French people in? No. Italio Cavino is Italian. Okay. So they could let me in. They could. Hmm. What about that guy that you told me about that wrote a book that's one sentence. Does that count? Laszlo Krishnahokai. Yeah. He writes a lot of stories that are one sentence. Mm. Does that count as a Lipian? I do not know. I think that's probably too common of a restriction. Oh, okay. <laughs> common restrictions, yeah. 
Uh, there is another person who wrote an entire book in questions. Yes. And I don't think he's an Olympian. Mm. So they must have some other standards to let you in. Yeah, there must be some reason why, and not mm. because someone tried to write something experimental. Mm. I don't know if we could recommend other books based on this one, because quite frankly, there's probably not many books. Yeah, I've not read anything else like this book. Yeah. I recommend everyone go read it. Because yeah, I definitely recommend it. It definitely. If you listen to the podcast, it was my second favourite of the year, I guess. What was your favourite? The seventh function of language. Oh, okay. I remember now. Yes. Well, I put I made it my favourite of the yeah, year. Yeah, it almost since. was my favourite. It, it really jumped that list. Mm. So thank you for coming back again. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you'll be back. Yes. In the future, I hope. Me too. If you are listening, please rate and review our podcast because we try to get more attention i guess yeah <laughs> our goal well my goal for this year is to probably get more guests yes and i'm going to try and push to get more people on yeah so hopefully people interested in being a guest let me know yeah via social media which is translated pod on instagram facebook and twitter you expect me to say something i don't know <laughs> you're looking at me and i'm like am i meant to say something Yes, you're meant to be the hype guy. Yeah, I know, but you just did it yourself. All right. Uh, do you want to read a review? Oh, I can read a review. You want the one from me? No. Okay. Take so care. we're going to shout out our reviewers on Apple Podcasts. This one's from LJ0208. It says, looking forward to more. Informative and interesting, filling a niche I didn't know I was missing in my bookish life. Looking forward to more from Michael and the team. Thank you, team. (laughs) Thanks, LJ, for the review. Yes, that's awesome. And thank you for everyone in Latvia that made this podcast get in the top 100 podcasts. Yay, Latvia. (laughs) I don't know if many people are listening to literature podcasts in Latvia. I know one, and that was probably enough to get us charted. Yay. So thanks, Agnes, from Beyond the Epilogue. Yes. And... Fingers crossed she'll be a host soon. A host? A host. She could be the host, I'll be the guest. Yay. All right, so thank you for being a guest. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. We'll start picking another book soon. Yes, we will. All right. Bye. Bye. (laughs) I really don't know how to end this. If you want to support Lost in Translations, please go to patreon.com forward slash translations pod and all money there will help support the show. And please remember to subscribe, and while subscribing, please rate the show. This will help others find the podcast. All our links to social media are in the show notes, and you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Litzy under Translations Pod. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Walgarukabar and Bindal people. We acknowledge their ownership of this land and all the traditional owners in Australia, and acknowledge their care of the land. This is a Macaulay Flower production.